0: Just remaining really tightly focused on the terror. Oh my God! They've gotten a sunburn, and now, you know, they're going to get skin cancer in three days. That is—it sounds crazy when you say it out loud. But that's the thought loop that I would argue is prevalent in many people's minds who's worrying about this. Like sometimes, the things we think to ourselves, the chatter we experience, when you articulate it out loud, it's actually—it's embarrassing.
1: Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. I'm happy to have you tuning in today. This is episode 309, and I have an interview with bestselling author Ethan Cross. Ethan wrote the book, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. He's one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. The truth is that we all talk to ourselves. For better or worse, our chatter or self-talk can have a profound impact on our moods, relationships, and confidence. So if you're anything like me and you feel like often your chatter gets put on autopilot, you'll appreciate this conversation today because Ethan gives us some tools to pump the brakes and shift our self-talk so that it works for us rather than against us. In addition to being an author, he's also an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan where he founded the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory, which all sounds really impressive, but much to my delight, Ethan reveals that he's actually a real person just like us and struggles with chatter too. Before we get into today's episode, if I could ask you a favor, can you leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts for this show? Here's why I ask. The quantity and quality of reviews impact the rankings of the show. And that's one of the ways that potential guests whether or not they want to participate in an interview or conversation on the show. And in the past couple of months, I have had so many incredible guests, and I want to keep them coming. So if you could do your part in leaving a rating or review, that helps to support this show and keep the good stuff coming. Without further ado, here's my chat with Ethan. Hi, Ethan. How are you?
0: I'm great, Danae. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks for joining me today.
0: It is my pleasure. Um, we're we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart and um, that I, I deal with on a, a constant basis, parenting, because I'm a parent, so happy to be here.
1: <laughs> yes. And how old are your kids?
0: They are 12 and 8.
1: Okay. Girls?
0: Two girls, yes, uh, who, okay. who most of the time um, love each other and are, are very nice with one another, except when they're not. Um,
1: right. <laughs> I don't yep, know if you've that, ever experienced familiar. that. <laughs> Although the most of the time, I feel like that's very generous. So,
0: yeah, I may, I may be be, be glossing over some of the uh,
1: <laughs> right
0: the sore spots.
1: So, tell us a little bit about your work.
0: Well, I run a lab at at the University of Michigan called the Emotion and Self Control Lab, and essentially, what we study is uh, how people can manage their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors if they want to. So if you or your child has the goal to not feel a certain way or to feel another way how can they bring that goal to fruition so if you want to find if you want to stop ruminating about something and fretting like what can you do to um, to get to that end point you want to feel happier what can you do and so we do lots of experiments to test ideas we have about how to help people manage their emotional life we do research with kids, with adults, um, in the lab. We do studies outside the lab in schools. And then once we learn something about emotion management or self-control, um, we like to take that information and um, and share it with other people because we think it has real value for uh, folks out in the world. And so that was one of the reasons I was so excited to uh, come and talk to you today about our work.
1: Yes. And I think it's going to resonate with so many people listening.
0: I hope so. I hope so. I, I mean, I, I'll just say I, I recently wrote a book on this topic as we were talking about a little bit before. And actually, the reason I wrote this book called Chatter, this the voice in our head um, and how to manage it, the reason I wrote this was because a student asked me um, at the end of the semester during a class I was teaching here at Michigan, uh, hey, why did anyone teach us about how to manage our emotions earlier on in life when we were younger and we really mm. needed these tools. And and I didn't have a really good answer for her. Um, I genuinely believe that having some basic understanding uh, of how to manage our emotions um, is really useful and is stuff that we can all benefit from and most notably our kids can benefit from.
1: Yeah. I think that goes in line with, why didn't anyone ever teach me how to balance a checkbook or do basic personal finance things? And there are so many things that maybe we take for granted. We just assume that kids are going to figure it out, but that's not always the case.
0: It's not always the case. And, um, you know, what's interesting about emotions is that, you know, I think parents are, are initially early on in life, our caretakers, they're the ones who teach us how to manage our emotions. And, you know, that's socialization, right? Whether it be look, you, you know, don't have this tent you can't have a temper tantrum from here and think about it this way or or go do this. Um, so we're constantly trying to help our kids manage their emotional life. But but how do we know how to do it well? I think a lot of us stumble on on tools that are useful for ourselves and that we then share with our kids. But you know, when I was researching my book, I also came across m- lots of myths that, that characterize people's understanding of, of how to manage your emotions. So there are some things that popular culture tells us is useful for, for helping us manage our emotions. When in fact, if you look at the research, it turns out that it's not so useful and sometimes can be harmful. My, my favorite example of this is venting. So there's a lot of research, a lot of Many memes out there which suggest that you know you don't want to keep your your negative emotions bottled up inside. you want to just let them out find someone to express those feelings to. And so a lot of people they they do this with their friends and they encourage their kids to do it. And so there's been research on what are the consequences of unloading or emotional venting. And it turns out it's it's not as straightforward as you might think. So on the one hand, we know that, Talking about how you feel about something can be really good for strengthening the friendship and relational bonds between two people. And for parents and kids, that's really important. It's great that my kids know that they can come to me and talk to me about any problem they have. I, I, I never want them to not think they can, but if all I do in a conversation with my kids is... Um, just ask them to talk about their feelings. Really? So why do you feel so upset? Oh, that's terrible. Tell me more. What happened? And then they keep on unloading. And if I just leave it at that, just having them vent, what happens is they feel close and connected to me, but they leave the conversation feeling just as upset about the problem as they did when they started. Because we haven't done anything to actually I haven't done anything to help my kid work through the problem, to look at the bigger picture. Okay, let's put this in perspective. And so healthy conversations with other people involve doing two things. You do want to give them the opportunity to share their emotions. It is important to express a little bit. But at a certain point in the conversation, you want to start helping that person, whether it be your friend or your colleague or your kid, look at the bigger picture. So you know, my oldest daughter comes to me with a problem, and seemingly there's a new one every day. Um you know i learn about what happened i empathize with her i connect with her and but let's look at this let's look at the bigger picture sweetie like so so this is one argument you had and you've had lots of positive interactions with this person so do you think this is manageable and or how do you think you can deal with this situation I'm trying to shift her into problem-solving mode that's the formula for giving good support and that's i think it's simple but it's not something that we learn about in schools. So that's a long-winded way of of introducing why I think teaching people about this stuff is so important.
1: Yeah, no, and that makes a lot of sense and I think that there is a lot of mixed messaging out there about how to hold space for someone when they're frustrated, you know, be there and listen, don't provide advice. You know, I hear that a lot, you know, just be there and listen and just be kind of that that shoulder to cry on. But then when that person is just spilling over and over, does that just kind of reinforce those thought patterns?
0: Yeah, and 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 there is a little bit more complexity to this phenomenon um, that I that I've described so far, and I go into this um, uh, in my book. So, what I've described, like taking some time to 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 listen, empathize, validate, and then at a certain point in the conversation, help broaden their perspective. Uh, there are a couple of caveats surrounding how that works. First of all. That assumes that, let's use children here because I think a lot of people have children who are listening mm-hmm. today. Um, that assumes that your kid is coming to you and actually wants your support. They want to talk to you about this problem, right? Um, then what you need to know is that depending on the, the person, the child, and the situation they're dealing with, some people are going to need more time just sharing their emotions before they're ready to transition into getting that Perspective broadening advice. So this will happen with. I like to use my wife as an example here. I especially like to use her as an example when she's not in the same room as me and can listen to me. Likewise, using her as an example. <laughs> um, so when my, my wife will come to me frequently and want to talk to me about stuff that's bothering her, and some of the time, so she'll start telling me about what happens. I'm like, oh, it sounds terrible. Yeah, sure, talk to me and why? I, what happened? And mm-hmm. what do you th- you know? Why do you feel this way? Blah blah blah. I never say blah blah blah. By the way, <laughs> That's I, just I, right in, yes, I right? empathically <laughs> connect. But at a certain point in the conversation, like I, I get it. I have a thought. Can I share it with you? Some advice, or and sometimes she'll she'll stop and she'll be like, No, just keep listening. I'm not ready for that. At other points, at other conversations over other issues, she'll be like, Please, like tell me what do you think. So you want to feel that out. The more intense the emotional experience, the more time people need to spend just sharing their emotion before they're ready to transition into that more cognitive mode. And so in the immediate aftermath of an emotional, of a negative experience, many people aren't ready to switch into that cognitive mode. It takes some time. So you do want to feel it out. There is an art to doing this well. The, the other point, the other caveat that I like to give people is Everything I've just told you about pertains to instances where someone comes to you, your kid comes to you, they want to talk to you. But there are many situations that parents experience when they see their kids suffering. They're struggling, they're ruminating, but they don't actually ask you for help. And then the question is, well, what do you do? Do you do you volunteer the support? As parents, we don't like to see our kids suffering. And we th- if we think we can help them, there's this natural instinct to try to do that, but That often can, to use a technical term, blow up in our faces because what happens is we see our kids suffering. So I'll I'll use myself as an example. I see my kid at the kitchen table. She's really struggling with this problem. Hey, you know, it seems, you know, like, like, you know, things aren't going so well. Can I offer some advice, you know? And immediately it's like, I didn't ask you for help. Okay. Just, can you go back to your office mom he's doing you know and then it explodes and i get in trouble with my wife i get in trouble with everyone so what what's happened there has been has been studied and it makes a lot of sense why my daughter would react this way what i've done is i have threatened what we we call her sense of self-efficacy this idea that is so central to how all of us function like we want to feel like we are capable of handling our own circumstances and so when people volunteer advice the message it communicates is, you don't know what you're doing. Listen to me because I know everything. And that is not a message that kids like to hear. I would argue it's not even a message that adult parents like to hear when their parents or in-laws give them unsolicited advice about parenting, right? I think it causes, right? It can create (laughs) some friction. Yeah. So, So the good news there is there's still things you can do to help what it, what, what it involves doing is something we call providing invisible support so getting the 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 child or your friend help but without shining a spotlight on the fact that you're doing it and so there are lots of ways that this could work again to use my wife as an example if she's stressed out and ruminating about something i can i can do simple things to just ease her burden right so i'm going to take care of dinner and and soccer practice tonight take that off her plate if it was on her plate for that day right? That's just making her job just a little bit easier that day. Um, If someone on my team and my lab is struggling at work with their presentation skills, rather than pull them aside and say, hey, you know, I've noticed your public speaking is a little subpar, I can have a group meeting. And the, the purpose of the group meeting is let's share out best practices. What would we learn about how to speak well? And so we're all sharing things out, and we're, I'm getting the person information, tips and tricks that they can use, but it's not about them per se. It's about all of us. And with kids, the, the last piece of um, invisible support advice that I like to give parents is um, affectionate touch. Um, you know, So a hug, a pat on the shoulder, a caress, that's a very powerful tool for helping regulate Our our loved ones, Um, you know, if you think about what happens when kids are born into the world, struggling with their emotions, screaming their heads off, the way we soothe them is with with skin to skin contact. It turns out that um, we've got receptors on the skin that code for an affectionate embrace, and and when it's registered, it releases a cascade of stress fighting chemicals. That's really helpful when we're struggling. And so, you know, I'll, I'll see my daughter struggling with her homework, or or a boy, and. I'll I'll pat her back. Um, You know, the caveat to that is uh, it has to, of course, be wanted. And you know, it gets a little dicier when you're talking about affectionate touch in the workplace. You know, I don't, I'm not advocating that per se. But, 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 but those are some ideas.
1: Yeah, And, and that's helpful because I think often when someone comes to us or when we go to someone else for venting or for just processing emotions, advice is kind of the first thing that we go to. But it doesn't always have to look like advice as we know it traditionally. I think those examples you just gave, gave, and then the idea of helping them to zoom out and to problem solve on their own is so yes. important. It's not just about telling them what to do, or telling them, if I was you, this is what I would do, that, that there's other options. We're gonna pause now for a two minute break to hear from our sponsors. Our first sponsor for today is Fabric Life Insurance. If you're a parent, then you know that kids are amazing and amazingly expensive, but protecting your family with term life insurance is surprisingly affordable. Fabric has moved life insurance all online. So getting a policy that's right for your family isn't complicated at all. Fabric was built, especially for parents to help you manage your family's financial future stress-free with their online hub. It's quick and easy to track your family finances all in one place. You can get fast, affordable life insurance, even create a will for your family, and set up your kids' college savings plans. Protect your family with term life insurance now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash simple. That's meetfabric.com slash simple to start protecting your family today. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash simple. Fabric insurance agency policies are issued by Vantas Life. They're not available in New York and Montana. Prices are subject to underwriting and health questions. Our second sponsor for today is Mint Mobile. The big wireless phone providers seem to have forgotten that families come in all shapes and sizes. That's why Mint Mobile decided to shake up the wireless industry with their brand new modern family plan. Each line starts at $15 a month, and you only need two lines to get started. No matter how big or small your family is, you deserve to save on wireless service. And if you're anything like me, the costs of your wireless service have been creeping up over the past few years. Since launching my Analog Curious episodes, I've had a lot of people reach out, looking for creative ways to disconnect. And one way that I shared in those episodes was having a low-cost dedicated line that you can turn on on the weekends or in the evenings and be distraction-free. You only give the phone number to the people who are the most important to you. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month, including the Modern Family Plan, go to mintmobile.com slash simple. That's mintmobile.com slash simple. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash simple. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Back to my chat with Ethan.
0: One of my favorite tools for kids is to um, ask them how. what advice would they give to someone else in this situation? Right, Um, it's it's remarkable how, as human beings, we're often much better advising other people about their problems than we are giving ourselves advice. Uh, You know, I'm I'm amazed when I give talks about this to to public audiences. um, I ask people, Hey, have you ever been in a situation where a friend or a loved one comes to you with a problem that they're ruminating about? They can't see straight. They don't know what to do, but they present the problem to you, and it's relatively easy for you to give them some sound advice. And consistently, like everyone in the audience raises their hands. I think it is a truism that when the problem isn't happening to us, we can be much more objective and deliberate. And and there's a really powerful nugget there for helping other people manage their emotions, right? And helping ourselves manage our own emotions because we could think about what we would say to someone else. And when we do that, we often come up with wiser solutions to our problems when we're, when we're stuck ruminating or experiencing what i call chatter we tend to zoom in so narrowly on the awfulness of the situation we can't see that bigger picture we think about hey what would you tell a friend we can often see that that bigger bigger picture
1: so can you define for us chatter and the inner voice and tell us how those are the same or different
0: yeah so um, so the inner voice is is a a term that I use to refer to our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. And this is an amazing tool that we all possess that lets us do many different things. You could think of your inner voice as a type of Swiss army knife of the human mind. Um, Your inner voice lets you keep information active in your head. So if you go to the grocery store and you you get to aisle three and then you think, oh, what do I have to buy? And then you repeat your list in your head and you go down the list cheese, yogurt, apples. That's you using your inner voice. Your inner voice is part of what we call our working memory system. This is a basic part of the human mind um, that we use to just keep information active. So if you were to repeat a phone number in your head to memorize it, that's you using your inner voice. We rely on our inner voice for that reason every single day. Um, We also use our inner voice to plan and simulate for the future to, you know, before a, um, a presentation. Many people, including myself, will go over what they're going to say in their head or before a date or a meeting. People will often rehearse the talking points of what's going to happen during the transaction. That's you using your inner voice.
1: Do you know if the inner voice exists just verbally or if it's sort of a picture and verbal combination, kind of like a movie script or is there are there both?
0: Well, they're definitely both. So when inner voice refers to the, the verbal side of thinking. But you can think about thinking as having two different, um, occurring in two different modalities. We could think in terms of images, like when you uh, imagine yourself on the beach in Hawaii at the next vacation you have planned, or when you think about the, you know, your kids scoring a goal at the last soccer game, like I'm seeing imagery of that in my mind right now. We, that's one way we think. We think imagistically, but we could also think in terms, in verbally using, using language. Um, those aren't clear cut in the sense that they often co-occur, although some people tend to think more in one modality versus the other. So, uh, it's a, it's a, a great question. Um, so I guess, um, back to the inner voice, I guess, uh, let me just say two other things it helps us do, um, coach ourselves or critique ourselves along. So like when you're exercising, you know, come on, seven more reps you could do it and we also use our inner voice to do something i think that's quite remarkable which is to make stories create stories that help us understand ourselves like bad things happen um adversity occurs. And when that happens, we try to make sense of those experiences and we use our inner voice to do that. So that's the positive side of your inner voice. You definitely would not want to live a life without having one of those inner voices. The negative side of it is what I call chatter. And here the phenomenon is you've experienced something troubling, you've been rejected, you have some anxiety about something that's coming up, you're sad, And you turn your attention inward to try to work through that problem. Why am I feeling this way? What am I going to do? But rather than coming up with a clear solution that allows you to move forward and move on with your life, you end up overthinking the situation. You get stuck in a negative thought loop. You worry. You ruminate. You catastrophize. It's getting stuck in that negative thought loop. That is a phenomenon that I call chatter and i think it's one of the big problems that we face as a species and i say that because we we know that chatter can make it really hard for us to think and perform i mean try reading a few pages in a book when you're really worried about something it's impossible to remember what you've read because your mind is somewhere else we know that chatter can create friction in our relationships with other people because when we experience chatter we often want to sh- talk about it with other people but because it, those negative thoughts keep streaming through our heads we find someone to talk to, and then we keep on talking about it over and over and over again, right? So you, you're, you're, your kid comes to you with a problem. They tell you a little bit about it. You give them some advice. You, you listen to them. And then two minutes later, they come back with the same exact issue over and over and over again. That can create friction. And then we, we also know that chatter can undermine our physical health. It can um, prolong our stress response in ways that are damaging, leading to things like Cardiovascular disease and problems of inflammation and even certain forms of cancer. So, performance, well-being, relationships—it's um, a really important problem, I think, to be able to solve. And, and the good news is that there's a lots of there's lots of science that identifies specific, concrete things we can do of the sort we've started to talk about um, to help prevent us from getting stuck in those chatter spells.
1: Yeah. So. I have a couple examples of things that kind of stood out to me from, I was kind of looking within trying to find some of my own chatter that we could maybe problem solve with. Yeah, Um, tell me. So here's one that I came up with. So when I was a brand new mom, I was on, in a Facebook group and there were some moms, there was one mom telling a story about how she was working and the babysitter took her toddler to the pool And the toddler got a really bad sunburn. And then all the other moms were just blasting in the comments like, fire her, get rid of her. She is unfit. So now I have noticed this was one experience a long time ago. And now I notice myself every summer when the sun comes out, I have this script in my head. If my kids get sunburned, I'm an unfit caregiver Mm. because I had this sort of experience of all these people saying this thing, which I don't even believe. I think it's. Nuts! Like, of course, kids get sunburned. I got a sunburn. It doesn't mean that my parents were unfit caregivers, but it's 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 stuck with me. What do you think?
0: Well, I think uh, two things. Uh, you know, number one, I think that that uh, episode on the Facebook group is an example of this. Uh, venting run amok, and you see that happening a lot on social media in the form of these collective vent sessions, or we call co-rumination sessions, where people are ruminating with one another. And I would argue that that, on the one hand, it is nice that you have the support of other people, but if all you're doing is adding fuel to the fire, that's terrible. Oh my God, what we like at a certain point that ceases to be constructive, and you you know you do want someone to help you look at that bigger picture. And so that's what I would advise you to do when it comes to your own, um, sunburn guilt or anticipated <laughs> guilt that you are experiencing is, um, I mean, I'm, I'm actually very, very sensitive to sun related issues with my kids. Um, I hate it when they get sunburned and I do, you know, what I What do can, you
1: think that's about?
0: Uh, well, for me, it's a, it is it is absolutely about, uh, I view myself as as one of their protectors and I don't want anything negative to happen. And I know that uh, one sunburn is not going to be too bad, but a cumulative history of sunburning is not a good thing when it comes to their long-term health. And so initially that can get me really worried. But when that happens, uh, I do look at that. I do try to zoom out and look at that bigger picture. And I remind myself, Ethan, sometimes I'll actually use my name. This is one tool I talk about in the book. We call it Distant self-talk, using your name to refer to yourself as you try to work through your problems silently, not out loud, can can actually be useful for giving you some healthy distance and objectivity. Ethan, you know, one sunburn isn't going to damage things. And look, it happens. They're kids. Uh, I'll look at the bigger picture and I'll say, look, you experienced sunburns before. So far, so good. So I'll look at that broader picture in that way too. No one's perfect, right? What what I'm doing is I'm going from just remaining really tightly focused on the terror. Oh my God, they've gotten a sunburn, and now, you know, they're gonna get skin cancer in three days. Like that is, it sounds crazy when you say it out loud, but that's the thought loop that I would argue is prevalent in many people's minds who's worrying about this. Like sometimes the things we think to ourselves. The chatter we experience when you articulate it out loud—it's actually—it's embarrassing. It is. I feel super
1: embarrassed for admitting this. (laughs) Right? No, but hey, I
0: wrote a story in my book about like when I was—I got a threatening letter, yeah—and at one point I contemplated hiring a bodyguard who specialized in protecting academics in the Midwest. Like, are
1: there such a thing?
0: No, of course not. It's crazy, (laughs) lunacy. But that's—I think that's—that's one, you know, one one hope of uh, that I have about talking about this stuff and writing the book is that it normalizes this experience. It says, Hey, if you find yourself every now and again thinking thoughts that you might not want to say out loud to someone else, like welcome to the human condition. Um, There's nothing wrong with you. Um, But there are things we can do to minimize how long those thoughts, those irrational thoughts, if you want to call them that percolate in our heads. So, so that's one piece of advice I would, I would give.
1: Okay. I like that. And thinking about social media and the impact on our own self-talk and our inner voice, I think you talked a little bit in the book about social media and how you didn't think it was all bad and that there were definitely good parts, sort of more nurturing parts for our inner voice and our emotional well-being. Can you just share a little bit about that?
0: Social media, I like to think of it as it's, it's a new environment that we and our kids increasingly spend a lot of time engaging in interacting with and i don't think environments per se are good or bad it depends on what you do in those environments so if we use as a as a metaphor um like the the offline world our neighborhoods and the people that are in our neighborhoods um there are dangerous neighborhoods around where i live and there are safe neighborhoods um if I go to the dangerous neighborhoods, I, I enhance my risk of getting in trouble compared to if I spend my time in the safe neighborhoods. There are people who um, I could talk to that may put me at greater risk of having my feelings hurt compared to other kinds of people. There are ways of talking to other people that can enhance the likelihood of, of skirmishes, if you will, um, as compared to other ways of talking to other people. So it's it's how you navigate the space. That impacts us emotionally. And I would argue that the same is true about social media. Um, In terms of the positive side, I think social media does provide people um, with the opportunity to both seek out um, and obtain support in ways that we simply cannot do in our offline world. Uh, When a person, I mean, look look at the current situation playing out in the Ukraine right now. At the start of the war, the Ukrainians turned to social media and there was an outpouring of both emotional, but also tangible support in the, in the form of money. People were, 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 um, renting out Airbnbs without going just to give, give the owners in Ukraine, you know, funds. So, so social media broadens the size of our social support networks in ways that I think can be really helpful. Um, it also gives us the opportunity to provide support to other people so we can not only get better support for ourselves, we can be better supportives to others. So that has this positive altruistic element. We also know, though, that helping others actually helps ourselves too. We feel better when we help other people. Uh, so those are some positives, but there is, of course, the negative side of this, the the cyberbullying and trolling that um, is always a, a concern, and that we see playing out on social media, the social comparison element where people, kids, um, especially teens, um, teen girls, are most vulnerable to this. They are, you know, on Instagram, for example, checking out the glorified lives of others and feeling bad about their own lives as a result. Um, that affects about twenty percent of, of 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 teen girls. That's it. So, only twenty percent. Um, well, you know, ba- based on based on what we've seen thus far, right? Um, you know, I, I think on the whole, it's easy for us to focus on the negatives of social media. And I actually started my career doing research on this and pointing out many of the negative problems it has. But if you look at the data, there are some redemptive features. The challenge, of course, is how do you how do you steer your kids on this space? Like, how do you determine how much time is enough time, and which apps to let them go into, and for how long, and how to use them? I think those are the the big questions we now face as parents and scientists as well.
1: Yeah, and I love in your book you pointed out that Facebook leads us with the prompt "What's on your mind, Danae," and that that is a direct invitation for you to share your inner voice in a very public forum. And that was so, it really shifted my perspective. Now, every time I look at that prompt, I sort of ask myself, what's on your mind, Danae? Is this something that you want to share publicly, or is this something that you should share, you should keep privately? (laughs) And that, I'm asking myself that question before I'm posting, because I see that question now as an invitation to share my innermost thoughts. And it's not always the right place for it or the right time for it.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think that's fantastic. And I think we ought, I think the more, I think people get in trouble from reflexively sharing those those inner thoughts because we know that when we experience strong emotions, positive or negative, we are highly motivated to share those experiences with other people. There's a lot of research that speaks to that. Um, The problem is that Social media transforms how that works, because in the offline world, number one, we've got to find someone to share our emotions with. And I don't know about you, but there's not always someone available, right? So sometimes I have to wait, I have to wait some time before I can find the person to share what I'm going through with. And as time passes, we know that our emotions tend to subside. They get tempered with time. So often by the time I find someone, I'm not as hot or 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 whatever as I was yeah. when this first triggered. Once I start talking to someone about my emotions, I'm also getting this continuous feedback from their face or if it's over the phone their voice, right? Like right now I'm looking at you and your face is giving me all of this important information about how what I'm saying is registering or not. Am I saying things that are hurtful? I can detect that on your face. And that's constraining how I behave to you. It's leading me to not you know, use expletives and say things that I might be more willing to say if you weren't there. And I was just typing into a box that doesn't have a human attached to it. So social media changed all that because when my emotions are peaking, when my inner voice is blaring, I can just go on my smartphone and type in what I'm saying. And I don't have anyone staring back at me, right? So I can be somewhat unfiltered in the way I do it. And I think we've all seen many instances of people getting into trouble for sharing their emotions in that way. So I think the question you're asking, the little time you're injecting to just pause and reflect, do I actually wanna share this? I think it's a really good thing and I think, teaching our kids to do that would be really helpful as well.
1: Absolutely. I actually just last week, I saw one of my Facebook friends who is a woman my age post um, a picture and she posted the commentary that she doesn't usually post anything on Facebook when she's not on her ADHD medication because of, she makes impulsive thing. it makes impulsive decisions. And that was really, um, it really made me reflect because I'm not an impulsive person. Usually if I'm going to post something, I do think it through pretty well, but seeing that sort of that other perspective for people who do struggle with impulsivity, that this can be a very real thing. And I think our kids are very susceptible to that reflexive, impulsive sharing on social media and elsewhere on the internet. Well, this
0: is where, you know, I think so much of our life, whether we're talking about how we express our emotions on social media uh, to how we manage our emotions more generally in daily life, we we, we kind of stumble on ways of managing our these emotional experiences effectively or not. And I think the real value of talking about the science that speaks to more effective ways of Doing the kinds of things we're talking about, like that, allows us to be just a little bit more thoughtful about how we engage and relate to our emotions, and and I think that can often be the difference between experiencing and and minimizing um, suffering and and the negative consequences that often come with our emotions run
1: amok. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So another one of my, my personal things to share is that I definitely have a lot of chatter about the podcast and the things that I share on the podcast. Um, often after I record, I'll be thinking about something that I said and thinking backwards and forwards, how it could have been offensive or inappropriate in some way, shape or form. Do you experience this at all?
0: Uh, I have a a few times, um, and it was not pleasant the two times that I can actually think of two specific examples. So a, you're not alone. And I want to come back to this, not alone normalization bit, because that's actually a tool we've studied and found to be really helpful. Okay. Don't, don't you feel better now knowing you're not alone? Oh (laughs) yeah. Right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's it's, it's powerful. (laughs) Um, yeah, there were two times that I did, did a podcast and I said something and it wasn't malintourished. I think it it could have been interpreted the wrong way. You know, I, I, I immediately called my wife, like, what do you, I said this, what do you think? "Eh, It's probably okay, but you know, maybe someone, I'm like, that's not what I want to (laughs) hear. And so then I'm like, okay, can we edit that out? Um, so I think, I think podcasts are actually really tricky in that regard because when we have unfiltered conversations of the sort that we're having right now, Sometimes things come out, and um, they're not intended and and they can be taken out of context. and so I totally get what what um what you're experiencing. and um I think if it's an egregious instance where like, oh, that could definitely be taken out of context, then I think going in and and doing some editing can make sense. but um you know, the hope otherwise is that people will will Give one, give the best intentions. I think. I mean, I I feel like we'd all benefit a lot by assuming the best rather than the worst um, when when perceiving others'
1: actions. Yeah, and I think this idea that you present of zooming out and looking at the bigger picture, right? Of course, not everyone is going to agree with everything that I say, and I don't want them to. That would not be normal or appropriate. But it. The, the idea that someone might be hurt by something that I say is that, that stands out, um, in my mind, I think so that kind of balancing that zooming out and saying, I'm never going to get a hundred percent, not a hundred percent of the people are going to agree with me. There's always going to be someone that's going to be hurt that comes to this with a different lens and a different life experience. And it's impossible to predict that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that's absolutely been a very powerful reframe that I've used, for example, um, uh, like, you know, when my book came out and y- you, know, you hope that your book speaks to everyone, but there may be some people that it doesn't. And, um, you know, I think if you're, if you're, if you're helping the, 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 the majority, you're, you're doing pretty good. So, um, did so yeah.
1: Have, I, did you have chatter around Amazon reviews of your book?
0: Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, or Goodreads
1: reviews, that's where author's spirits go to die. Uh,
0: yeah, both both were equally <laughs> equally chatter-provoking, and so I had a chance to use the tools, and, and they, they, they they did work, which is another thing. You know, I often get people ask me, hey, do you ever experience chatter as someone who studies this yeah. stuff? And I, yes, I experience it. I think most people do. But what I am pretty good at is nipping it in the bud um, when it strikes. So rather than get stuck in that moment, I can detect when it's striking, and then instantly implement tools to to manage it. And I'm very grateful for that. But uh, but certainly, you know, um, there's a like many professors will will commiserate over the fact that you can teach a huge lecture class, and when the evaluations come in, 299 of them can be glowing, and there's one negative one. Yeah. And it's the negative one that you're going to be harping on all night. And I think the same um, yeah, the same is true absolutely. to a certain extent with reviews. You know, we know that bad is stronger than good. The bad stuff sticks with us longer than the good stuff. And so uh, so simply reminding myself about that, actually, that's a way of broadening my perspective to put things in context that can be helpful.
1: Yeah. And there's something interesting about a book that I find that... um not every book is written for every person, right? They're not right for every single person. There's no such thing. I mean, right? Like, even look at like the Bible, you know, that's not sure. right for every person. It's not right yes. for people who aren't Christian. You know, I think that when people are leaving Amazon reviews often that maybe the book just wasn't for them, you know, it wasn't yeah. the right fit for them. And I think about that with podcast reviews and just in general, myself, when I'm putting myself out in the world, like I'm not for everyone. And That's That's okay. okay too, right? Yes,
0: yes. But you know, this is what I find so powerful about this idea of zooming in and zooming out, which is when we get stuck in the chatter, we go so narrow down the rabbit hole of despair that oftentimes just looking at that bigger picture, and there are different ways to do it, can provide us with real relief. But when we're stuck in the chatter, we often lose sight of that, right? Because we're just wallowing, and um, and so these are small shifts. Which you know, this touches on another point that might be good to just talk about. Uh, I don't know if you saw there was a New York Times article actually just a couple of weekends ago about the mental health stress epidemic among teens.
1: Mm, Yeah, I did read that. It was
0: a great piece of journalism. And there were some companion pieces that came out around the same time advocating just, you know, so what can you do if your teen is uh, stressed out? And, And, you know, they rattled off things like meditate, get sleep, and what was the other one? Meditate, get sleep, and maybe like eat well or something, which on the one hand, these are all great ideas with lots of data behind them, but they're also generic, like pretty generic and, and effortful, right? Like you can't always control how much sleep you get, especially if you're ruminating, right? And with exercise, like, okay, but oh, exercise and meditation, those are the others. Like meditating can be hard. And, I, I don't want to advocate not doing those things. I, I do many of those things myself. They're great when I can. But there are also many smaller things we can do, subtle, more effortless tools we can implement. And I think that is it's really important to be aware of what those more effortless tools are because we know people are more likely to do things that are easy. It's easy to take a drink to erase your troubles for the day. I'm not advocating that. There's lots of data showing that's really harmful. I think one of the reasons so many people do it to manage their emotions is because it's easy. Many of these perspective broadening things are likewise easy and they don't have the same effects on your liver as drinking too much and things of that
1: sort. Absolutely. So one more thing that I wanted you to share a little bit about is talking about using your own name. I found this to be so simple and fascinating.
0: Yeah, so this is what we call distance self-talk. It's one of my uh, personally favorite strategies. My f- first thing I do when I experience a little chatter, lots of evidence behind it. What it involves doing is if you've experienced something that's chatter-provoking, try to coach yourself through the, the situation using your own name rather than the f- in the first person using I, me, my. Uh, what we know about names and other second-person pronouns, which we also encourage people to use, like words like you is these are parts of speech that, that are usually specifically used when we think about and refer to other people. So the link between using a name or the word you and thinking about something else super tight in your mind. So when you use your own name to think about your problems, what it does is it, it switches your perspective it puts you in this mode of thinking about someone else's problems, which makes it much, much easier for us to coach ourselves through the problem effectively. So if I experienced, Ethan, come on, man, what are you doing? Here's what you need to do. It, it, it thrusts me out of this threat mode where, Oh my God, how am I going to manage this thing to you've done? You know, you've been here before and here's what you're going to do and it's going to be just fine. So, um, uh, so tr- I would encourage people to try that out. They don't want to do it out loud, while walking down the streets of New York, though. You want to do it silently in your own head. And um, and you know one one other point, I guess I should I should mention is distance self talk is one tool. Uh, at the back of my book, there are like twenty six different tools I list. Different tools and different combinations of tools work for different people in different situations. And so I think there is. A real invitation that uh, I like to give people, which is to to try to figure out, hey, what are the tools that work best for me, given my unique circumstances? Like the four or five things that I do when I experience chatter are a little bit different from the four or five tools that my wife uses. Um, science really hasn't gotten to the point where we can prescribe combinations of tools. What we've done a good job at doing is identifying the different tools that, that are out there. But we are really at the point where we now have to figure out how these tools come together for different people. And I think while everyone is waiting for the science to pre- to be produced that speaks to that issue, you can start doing some self-experimenting. So, you know, try out these tools if they work, keep using them. And if not, switch to something else.
1: Yeah. And I actually, I said that was my last question, but I have one more that I just remembered um, sure. from the Simple Families community. How do we teach our children to have a positive inner voice when children see things in extremes? And I constantly hear the word never and always. And that is something I see. Actually, I have one child that will um, get upset and go into the bedroom and ruminate out loud. And I can hear them saying like, oh, the worst mom. I have the meanest mom. And just like, and I hear it. And that, no, just, it can't that be because rumin- we have
0: got the worst parents in our house. So. Oh, really? Oh, good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's that shared experience. Um, So what do you think about that? Kids with negative self-talk or Uh, negative um, ruminations like that?
0: Well, I think we can definitely work with them. I think talking to them about these things is really important. I think, you know, step one is just explaining what it even means to have chatter. Uh, Step two is explaining to them that if they experience this, they don't have to keep continuing to experience this. Like if kids don't hear otherwise, some kids just think that their emotions are things that happen to them that can't be controlled, right? I can't stop thinking about this. And so if you, if you think that you can't control something, can't manage it, you're not going to be likely to take steps to actually do that. So I think just talking about this and conveying that actually there are choices you can make to think differently about this if you want to can be really powerful. Uh, and then it's about, you know, pointing out alternative ways that they might think about this so you're saying never is it really never really mommy's never nice ever I bet you could think of one example and you know in my experience and I'm speaking now just anecdotally as a parent oftentimes when I plant those seeds um, they are met with looks of you know disdain and exasperation and they go away but over time the things we say to our kids have a way of penetrating and I'll give you one concrete example of this. Uh, I'm constantly talking to my kids about the things I'm learning about. I'm excited about it. I share it with them, and they're usually boing, you know, <laughs> my youngest daughter says. But uh, this past summer, my daughter took up diving at the local swim club. And diving is a really interesting sport from a chatter perspective because everyone's looking at you. And you actually have a lot of time before you dive to just be alone with your thoughts and about how you're going to do. And so it can be really anxiety-provoking in that regard. And so one day I asked my daughter, so what what do you think about when you're waiting to get up there? And it was amazing. You know, she rattled up. Well, the first thing I do is I say to myself, Maya, you've practiced this before. You got this. You're going to nail it. So she used the distant self talk. She (laughs) thought about it as a challenge, not a threat, something else I talked about. And then she had a tiny little ritual that she reported engaging and taking a few deep breaths, repeating a phrase in her head, which we know can be effective too. I didn't tell her explicitly to do that, but I had talked about these things many times on walks at the dinner table and so forth. And so I think just beginning to have those conversations about. Hey, what are emotions? What does it mean to even have an inner voice? Why do we ruminate? You know, in a fun way, and introducing these different tools, I think that's the first step to empowering our kids to be more effective um, regulators later on yeah, in life.
1: I love that. And in the calm moments, because often we think about it mostly in the moments when um, when it's happening, and that's usually not the moment, not the most teachable moment.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the time for a, a didactic lesson is not when they're screaming their heads off and right.
1: um, Absolutely.
0: other, other tools to use at that point.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much today, Ethan. This has been great.
0: Thank you. Um, uh, it was lovely, lovely to chat. And, yeah. Um, and where, where can we
1: find you online?
0: You can find me on, um, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, And if you want to learn more about me, my lab, my book, you can go to www.ethancrosswithak.com.
1: Great. And I'll put all those links in the show notes too. Wonderful. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Ethan. If you want to get in touch with him, find his books, or any of the links that we have in the show notes, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 309. And please take a moment to leave a rating or review. The ratings and reviews help this show to reach more people and allows me to improve the quality of the content. I appreciate you and thanks for tuning in. Have a good one.